Once again, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all here. Really is a day to celebrate. Celebrate us a great happening, something great that really happened. You know, Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And to many people, the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in all of history, really. And certainly to follow those of us that are followers of Jesus, um, it is the really central teaching of our faith. So what should the impact of such an incredibly, enormously important event have on each one of us today? Really, what should it have on us? Because we know it comes every year. What should it have on us? I want to answer that question this morning by first spending a little time focusing on the importance of the resurrection. And then I want to spend some time looking at some ways that the resurrection of Jesus impacts all of us. And I want to do that by that by doing, by looking at somebody in particular, one person that was impacted in really an amazing way. Now, usually at our church here, we teach expositorily. What that means is we teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're not going to be doing that today. We're going to be doing something um, just a little bit differently. What we're going to be doing is looking at how the Apostle Paul helps us to understand the importance of the resurrection in a letter that he wrote back in the early days of the church to a church in Corinth. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, a story. Okay, We're going to look at a story from the Gospel of John. So in the early days of the church, there were some that were having a hard time. Even people within the church were having a hard time believing that Jesus had actually rose from the dead. So what Paul does is he starts, when he writes this letter to these folks, he starts by giving them proof, okay? He starts giving them proof that the resurrection did happen. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we're going to be looking at a few of these verses, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was risen on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul starts off by telling his readers that the, that the fact that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead is at the very core. It's like it's the most important thing about the Christian faith. It's not just a once a year thing. It's the most important thing there is. It wasn't some accidental event. Really, it was a deliberate death of the Son of God offering his life for our sins. Paul also reminds them in this verse that the death and the resurrection was even predicted throughout the Old Testament. Those of you that came on Friday night, we had a um, Good Friday service. And what impressed me the most about it is those that put on the service, the youth group put it on, they did a fantastic job. And they had verses as people were talking about different things of prophecies throughout the Old Testament um, about Jesus in the background. And I just reminded me, oh my gosh, the Bible is just full of talking about Jesus. Now, not only that, but there's the fact Paul says that he appeared to well over 500 people after his resurrection. And then he even says he even appeared to him as well, to Paul. 
Well, Paul then goes on to explain the benefit of the resurrection, the benefit of the resurrection. In verse 17, verse 17 of that same chapter, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Wow. So he says here, the benefit of the resurrection, it was the, we have the opportunity to no longer be in our sins. What does that mean? To be in our sins. Well, to be in our sins means to be under condemnation or to be guilty. You see, sin is anything contrary to the character of God and his commands. It's a failing to live up to God's standards, something that we are all guilty of. You know what? It is not popular to talk about this, by the way. Right? Sin is not a popular topic to talk about. Our own sin, my own sin, and general sin in, in, in general. But he goes right for it. Paul says, no. Sin is a huge thing. If Christ was not raised, Paul says, then his sacrifice on the cross didn't mean anything. And our faith is absolutely meaningless. You see, the problem with being in your sins is that you get what your sins do for you. And the Bible says that the wages of sin, the cost of living in your sin is what? Death. Whoa. No wonder we don't like talking about it. It's huge. It's sad. But it's the truth. He's talking death. Now, death meaning here, death meaning, what he means by death here is a total separation from God. That's what he's talking about, death. Completely separated from God now and for eternity. You see, Christ died for our sins so that we could be free from the penalty of sin. He took that penalty on himself. What the resurrection provides for us is this living hope. And if you've been around, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and it's talking about this living hope. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, that's a little... Could be a little confusing there to say, sorry. what this verse is telling us, though, is that when we embrace, when someone embraces Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord, they have the assurance that they, their sin has absolutely been buried with him. That's what it means. It's been buried. It's been put away. It's been put to death. That doesn't mean that we won't still sin, because I still do. You can still, don't, no one leave. But yes, we all do. We all do. It's our sin nature. But it's dead. It no longer keeps us separated from an amazing, perfect God. We now have access to that God. It says we have assurance of this sin. John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan wrote 500 years ago. He said this, doubt not his sacrifice can save. God sealed it with an empty grave. Finally, Paul, almost said Peter because we've been talking about him. Finally, Paul tells us of the victory of the resurrection, the victory of the resurrection. The Bible teaches us that there is going to come a day when Jesus is going to return for his followers. 
In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that he's going to come down from heaven with a shout. And it says the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air. Boy, that sounds trippy to me. Doesn't it sound wild to you? What? Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be this huge shout. It's going to be, I don't know what that's going to be like. You know, planes, I don't, you know, what's going to happen? But it says the dead in Christ will rise. And then those of us that are still around, we're, just, we're going to meet him in the air. Man, make a movie of that. That is, that is amazing. In, in 1 Corinthians, what we've been looking at here in, in this chapter 15, Paul says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery, and it definitely is a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. When the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I've been a pastor a long time, and many of you have been around these situations too, going to a funeral, a memorial service. This verse right here, this truth that Paul is saying right here, is the very reason that the funeral or a memorial service of a follower of Jesus usually has some strong element of celebration to it. If you've ever been to a, to a, a funeral or a memorial service of someone that you, they were a follower of Jesus, their life was committed to Jesus, but I've been to, some, I've been to some funerals and some memorial services that turned out almost to be parties. I mean, as morbid as that might sound, because they know what is happening, that sting. Think of being stung by a bee or a scorpion if you ride United. Or, no, I'm kidding. Um, if you, of how that hurts. He's saying it's still going to hurt, but the, the, all the whole power of that sting has been swallowed in victory because of Jesus, because of the risen Jesus. Only life here on earth is over, okay? When you die only as a believer, only life on here is over. It's now on to eternity in the presence of Jesus. Oh my goodness. That's what he's saying here. That's the hope we have as followers of Jesus. It's not all about what's going on right here. All right, now in order to even better underscore the importance of the resurrection, what I'd like to do is take a look at the impact that it has on every single one of us. I'd like to do this by looking specifically at the impact that it had on one particular person. I want us to look at a woman named Mary Magdalene. This is a true story going to be read by Becky it takes place on a Sunday morning just after Jesus had been crucified. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, 
not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Thanks, Becky. Now, Mary Magdalene, we've heard a lot, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, huh? This is the one, Mary Magdalene, they call her, her, her last name is Magdalene, which means she probably came from the city of Magdala. Now, she's different than the, some of the different Marys. This is a, the Mary that we, really what we know about her is um, at one point in his ministry, Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. Okay, that was very, very common back then, demon possession back in that day. Um, and so he had cast seven demons out of her. After that, Mary became one of his very, very devout followers. She was one of the few women that actually had helped provide for Jesus out of their own funds to help him in his ministry. And she was also with him at the cross. You can imagine that Mary must have been very, very close uh, to Jesus. I mean, just, how mad, just imagine how Mary was feeling at the beginning of this story, okay? Not only had the one who had delivered her from demon possession, not just demon, demons, not only had he died and been brutally tortured, she had seen all this happen, but her hopes and dreams of him being the Messiah had now been dashed. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever had hopes or dreams dashed in any way at all? Maybe it's a marriage that hasn't turned out like you had hoped. Maybe it's a child that has gone astray. Or maybe it's a career that just has not progressed like you had hoped. I think we all have had some types of time when some kind of dream has died and it's been difficult to handle. So if that's you, if, if so, you've had that happen, Keep listening. Keep listening to the story of Mary. We see first thing early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, she heads to the tomb of Jesus to anoint his body with spices and with perfumes. When she had arrived at the tomb, she sees that the stone had actually been taken away from the entrance of the tomb. So she 
she just sees that thing, she looks at it, and she just bolts. She heads back to tell Peter and John that someone had removed the stone, and they'd taken the body away. She must have been frantic. So Peter and John, says, it says that they take off. They start, they start booking. They run towards the, towards the tomb to investigate. Mary meets them back there after a little while. After they check things out and they kind of discover, hey, this is true, then they return back home. But Mary stays. Mary stays and stands outside the tomb, and the passage says that she just stays there weeping and crying. She is so consumed by her grief. And I would imagine it had to be mixed with some anger also because she had just witnessed the injustice of a mock unfair trial and a beating and an execution of Jesus. So that had to be mixed in there too. We see that as she's crying, she stoops down to look into the tomb because back then the tombs maybe were like a three-foot hole, three-foot size hole to look into. You basically had to crawl into these, into these little caves. So she goes in there and um, she's crying and she sees it and she stoops down and she looks in there and she, what does she see? She sees these two angels sitting there, one sitting at the head and one at the feet where Jesus should be, but there's angels sitting there. And they ask her, why are you crying? That seems kind of a dumb question, though, doesn't it? I mean, Mary's distraught. But the angels say, why are you crying? Now, this might seem crazy, but I, she had just suffered a ton of loss. Yet here's what I believe the angels were implying. The angels were implying with this question, Mary, why are you surprised that Jesus isn't here? What's the big surprise? He told you that he would rise again in three days. You should be celebrating. You should, this should be an awesome day for you. Really what this tells us that Jesus, even Jesus' closest friends didn't fully grasp the magnitude of his grand plan. Well, Mary replies, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. I love it. In her upset state, she doesn't even realize that she's talking to angels. She has no idea. I'm sure there was, they weren't, didn't look like you and me. There had to be something shiny about them, I would imagine. There's something different. But she doesn't even know it. She doesn't even see it. As, she, as she's finished addressing the angels, she must have sensed, though, that somebody was near her. She just had that sense. So she turns around, and she sees Jesus standing there. What happens, though? She doesn't recognize him either. She doesn't even know it's him. She's so emotional and so distraught, she doesn't even see it there. It's angels and that it's Jesus. And he asks her, he says, why are you crying? I love what he says, though. He says, whom do you seek? Once again, really implying that this should be a joyous celebration. You should be excited that you see me. Now, notice that he says, whom? You see, Mary wasn't looking for a whom. She was looking for a what? See, Mary was looking for a corpse. Mary had been looking for something instead of someone. You guys, this is the heart of what Christianity is. It's not a religion. It's not a what, but it's a whom. It's all about Jesus. Like I said earlier, the entire Bible points to Jesus. That might be a revelation to some of you. 
I didn't know that early on in my Christian faith, but the whole entire Bible points to Jesus. It's about Jesus reconciling the broken relationship that exists between God and man. Sorry, I ruined the end of the story for you, but that's what it's all about. Still read it, okay? That's what it's all about. Jesus himself, he even said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I love this. Now, thinking that Jesus is the gardener, that's great. Mary tells him that if he's carried away the body, would he please tell her where he put it so so she could go get it? This woman is determined. She is determined. Jesus then does something incredible that has amazing impact on Mary. He calls her by her name. Look what that does. He says, Mary. And And the scriptures say that immediately... She recognized him. She realized who he is. I can you imagine her heart must have been bursting. Her grief is instantly turned to an inexplicable joy. She must be going, oh my gosh, you're alive? Remember, she came for a corpse. And Jesus is alive, standing there. But it doesn't even end there. As excited as she is, as much as she would love to just wrap her arms around, it even says, if you look at that, it just says, she says, Mary, don't cling to me. And that sounds kind of harsh, but he's got a job for Mary to do right away. Sometimes we feel like, oh, you know what? I really don't know how much I can do for God because I just don't feel like I know very much. Or I don't feel like I'm very, you know, mature in this whole Christian thing. Mary instantly recognizes who Jesus is all excited, right away, Jesus has something for her to do. Right away. And it's the most incredible, wonderful, the greatest task that a person can have to go and announce the good news that because of him, all mankind can now have an uninhibited access to God the Father. Right away, go tell him. That's amazing. I love that. No, 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 Mary, no. He didn't say, okay, now let me tell you how to do this. Let's take a class, okay? I got this class on evangelism for you. I have this class. I want you, here's how I want you to express what really happened to me. Here's how I want you, no. He said, take that incredible joy and that excitement that you have that I am alive, go tell him now. Man, what an example. What a great example for all of us. What a contrast from the moment, just a few moments earlier, she was consumed with grief and anger. Could you imagine what was going on with Mary? Can you imagine how she walked, maybe floated back to those guys? She said, don't, don't hug me, go, I got a job for you to do. She must, oh my gosh, don't she was skipping and jumping. She must have been so excited to do what Jesus had asked her to do because he loved, she loved him. And now she, her eyes had been opened to the amazing thing of the resurrection of Jesus. She no longer was thinking about what she had gone to see, but whom she encountered at the tomb. The resurrection of Jesus has an incredible impact on Mary. Let me ask you, how has the resurrection of Jesus impacted you? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? If so, 
Are you experiencing all that comes, I mean, all that comes from knowing, personally knowing, the risen Jesus? Are you living in a freedom, the incredible freedom that you are truly forgiven for everything you've ever done and will ever do because of Jesus? Do you see your present circumstances through the lens of eternity with your risen Savior, knowing that this time is so short, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Let me dispel that myth that heaven is not going to be boring. You think of the most exciting thing you've ever experienced, it's going to be that times a million every second of every, will there be a day? I don't know. There'll be, it's going to be, that's why heaven is going to be so great because of the glory and the awesomeness. Anytime you've been in awe, it's like, oh my gosh. It's going to be like that times a million all the time because you're in the presence of the God of the universe. Do, Do we live our lives now in a way that reflect that is going to happen? Are you constantly looking for something to, gratif- to satisfy you when the truth is that your satisfaction won't be found in something and it'll only be found in someone? The one who knows you and calls you by name. Do you know the risen Jesus? The importance and the impact of the resurrection of Jesus is life-transforming. Let me encourage you to let it impact you anew today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and how it just gives us such illumination into who you are and your incredible love for us. Thank you, Father, for how you have shown us your love by sending your son to die for us. And Father, now as we move into our time of baptism, Father, we ask that you would continue to show us your greatness, your goodness, and your mercy through the lives of these folks. Pray in your son's name. Amen. Real quickly before... um, we're going to have, you guys can, those of you that are going to get baptized can head out, by the way, and go ahead and get changed. Yes, now. Um, <laughs> we, I'm really excited about this, and I think this is a great thing to do, especially on, um, on Easter. Easter uh, morning is such a great, cause, but here's the thing. Before we go into this, um, no, by the way, when we talked about this last week, if you were here, nowhere in the Bible does it say that baptism actually saves a person, okay? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. We do not believe that salvation comes by grace through faith alone, okay? That's what the Bible says. Baptism really is an appeal to God to fully know and, ad- and be identified with his grace, mercy, forgiveness, and his cleansing, See, a person goes into the water to symbolize the death to oneself and identification with Christ at his death and his burial. The water, which is heated, thank goodness, by the way, represents this cleansing of our sin. The coming out of the water, 
That represents being raised to new life in Christ as we identify with him in his resurrection. So these folks that are getting baptized, this, this, nothing new is happening to them this morning. Nothing new, okay? It has already happened inside of them. But this is one of the things, along with communion, baptism, another thing that Jesus told us, this is something we are to do. We are to symbolize. It's a symbol of showing what has already happened inside and proclaiming to everybody else, this is what has happened to me. That's why baptisms to me are so exciting. They're so fun because we get to hear how people have changed, what God has done in their lives. And I'm excited for the three people that are going to be baptized today. So we are going to sing a song so I can get changed and so you can worship too.